lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. That's right. Do not adjust your screens. You are seeing something you thought you would never see. It is indeed a Christmas miracle. Merry Christmas to all of you. Welcome to our special year-end two-hour edition of the Dace Group. Looking back at the year that was 2020, such a special event that we decided today to get all dressed up for it. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. I mean, he's decked out head to toe, man. He's got the cowboy boots. He's ready to roll. All right. Uh, Aaron McIntyre is here with us. Good to see you, Aaron, without a tie. Uh, directly contradicting my request, but it would just be another day that ends in Y around here. Would it, would it not, Todd? Yes. So millennial of him. Yes, indeed. So, and we have not one, uh, 2020 sucked so bad and there is so much to talk about that this year's year end days group roundtable has not one, but two guest panelists to help us break it down. Our good friend, the op-ed page editor over at Newsweek, Josh Hammer, is here with us. Also, underdressed. <laughs> Just, you guys are See, trolling me now. You're trolling me now, aren't you? Here's the thing. You're trolling I told, me now. Here's okay? what really happened. I told Paul to wear a tie. I told Josh... Just a collared shirt, knowing full well I didn't want to be the only one just wearing a collared shirt. Ah, there it so is. You, That's my you, out, Steve. That's my out. That is your out, in, indeed. Um, so you've defied me now twice. I actually have more respect for that than the initial defiance, to this, be honest with you. Okay. It kind of fits that this whole end of the year show is a psyop by Aaron because that's pretty much what <laughs> yes. 2020 has been on all of us. Yes. And the fourth member of our panel, former communication strategist for Congresswoman Tulsi Tabbard, Tulsi Tabbard, Tulsi Gabbard's presidential campaign, Paul Alexander. Good to see you, Paul. How are you? Good to see you. Doing great. Good to see you guys. I believe you're going to be the first ever registered Democrat to appear on this year end roundtable, Paul. So. Don't suck. All right. All right. All right. Don't suck. All right. You folks can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email us, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on our new MeWe page, which is the free speech alternative to Facebook. Uh, look me up there at Steve Dace on Parlor at Steve Dace as well. Check out our new YouTube channel as well, uh, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Uh, yes, my new book, A Nefarious Carol is out. That's the good news. The bad news is if you're getting it at Amazon.com, it is sold out. You guys have bought everything, every autographed copy, everything. Now, I just got off the phone with our publisher before we went on the air. We're hoping to have this all rectified by Monday. So in the meantime, the ebook is available. The audio book uh, is available. Uh, and soon we will have more copies of A Nefarious Carol, which is the sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which is also selling well. So it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at the Dace house, guys. Uh, so now, now, now I should have clarified the kids won't have a Christmas this year because the royalties won't be in yet. Okay. So they're not, so they already had their Christmas at Disney world a month ago. I should have clarified. You're making sure that they have a Christmas next year. You're, you're doing Christmas your miracles in perpetuity. Yes. Yes. This is, this is, uh, the, this is, you're the ghost of Christmas future for the day's children. They will now have a Christmas in 2021. Anthony Fauci permitting, uh, thanks to all of you. So with all of that being said, it is time for the day screw. 
today it is a very special yearly look at the year that was brought to you by our friends over at Bloomsy Box. The deadline is approaching, guys. Uh, Christmas is just a week away. Yes, I'm sure, uh, you know, there's women listening too, but let's face it, they probably have all their Christmas shopping done. Mine usually finishes her by about Labor Day. All right, so guys, Christmas is only a week away. You're running out of time to take advantage of that great discount over at Bloomsy Box right now, an extra 25% off. They're already low prices at Bloomsy Box. Get it, Bloom. Flowers, haha. B L O O M S Y, bloomsybox.com. All right. These are gorgeous flowers that are sustainably grown on family farms all over the world. And instead of being sent to some central warehouse and then sent to you, when you make your order, that arrangement is actually shipped directly from the farms around the world to you. And that helps those flowers to stay fresher longer. I got some of these from my wife a little while ago. They lasted on our kitchen counter for almost three weeks. All right. So no hidden fees, no endless ups sells take advantage of it now in a year where maybe it's not as easy to get home uh, as home to mom and to grandma uh, as much as we had hoped you can still put a smile on their face with a box from bloomsy box bloomsybox.com and enter the promo code steve that's bloomsybox.com promo code steve so this is the format for the year-end roundtable. No intros from Aaron. Instead, all the categories are selected by me, yours truly. Some of these are actually original. I did like rip a lot of these categories right off of the McLaughlin Group's year-end edition, but since this entire segment is a rip-off of the McLaughlin Group, I prayed about it and I feel real good about where I'm at right now, right? So, But there are a few original questions. So this will be more of a two-hour roundtable, kind of back-and-forth, witty repartee. Okay, that probably won't happen with all of us, but we'll do our best. Back-and-forth look at the year that was. And let's begin... First category, most defining political moment. And we'll do this kind of round-robin style. Who gets to go first? All right, so Paul is the very first Democrat ever to appear on the year-end day group roundtable. You get to go first. What did you think was the most defining political moment of 2020? Donald Trump's first debate performance. I believe for those who were conflicted, who don't like the direction of the Democratic Party and also don't like Donald Trump the person, that first debate performance may have been what tipped the scales for them. It was the very worst of Donald Trump nonstop for nearly two hours in front of 75 million Americans. Oh. All right, Josh, go ahead. Your mo- That's a good answer, by the way, Paul. You're, you got, Josh, go ahead. That's a very good answer. You know, I, I'm not sure this is necessarily a quote unquote moment per se, but I would just flash back to the roughly month to month and a half period from mid-March to mid-April, maybe the end of April, early May, when this country just decided that Anthony Fauci was going to be king, that we kind of got rid of the whole British monarch thing in 1776, 1787 for nothing, because we have a, we have anointed a new monarch who has ascended to the throne and is going to rule over all of us. That, to my mind, you know, we, there's a lot of stuff. This has been a year unlike any other. But that, as an extended moment, is, I think, the one thing that encapsulates the weak lemmings that we have become as a people. I have never encountered in my career anything like what we what happened this year with Anthony Fauci. I've, I've just in my lifetime, I've I've never seen anything like it. It's it's friggin biblical. I mean, the caricature that was allowed to be created without a vote, without anybody, almost anybody knowing who this dude was at the start of the year. And now he's essentially potentate Carpathia. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with that one. That's a good answer as well. All right, Todd, what do you think the most defining political moment of the year was? 
Well, uh, the Rosetta Stone for most of my answers is finding the most cynical answer possible. I think uh, the uh, Cuomo's uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, the fact that he wrote a book about le- leadership and then recently had a party with Hollywood people invited to it as speakers when we are in the middle of a lockdown, I think that defines just the political narcissism of something that is supposed to be we're all in this together. That's not even remotely true. That that book party by Cuomo is as cynical a play uh, by a politician Hmm. as I have ever seen. All good answers so far. Aaron. Along the lines of what Josh said, the creation of the coronavirus task force, the White House coronavirus task force, I don't think there's any any moment, and it seemed like nothing back in February when it was originally announced. It seemed like not a huge deal at that point. Boy, in the next two to three months, we'll be in for a surprise at how much sway that group had. I decided to choose, those are mean, all fantastic answers. And and unfortunately, this is a year where it it would be difficult to have a bad answer to this question, right? Because it's just been such a defining year. But I'm going to go back to March 16th, 2020. Um, uh, the day I think the United, I think it's possible our country may never fully recover from that day. Uh, and, um, that's the day we launched quote, 15 days to flatten the curve. That's the day the Imperial college doomsday model was released. And, um, that's when I think president Trump and a bunch of governors signed on to what is the worst management decision in all of American history. One of the worst political decisions in all of American history as well. It, it set into motion everything that made this the year, the, the screw tape letter that it turned out to be. Um, and it was the moment that not just define the year, but I think may forever define the future of the country. I mean, the idea that we can just on fiat, what's an essential business, what is not, who can open, who can't. Um, what businesses are valuable, which businesses are not, et cetera, et cetera, uh, where with no evidence it works uh, for per, to perpetuity, a Chinese face diaper on your face um, for the power that we have granted government will never be given back in full unless we take it back. That's history as well. So um, and, and, and it's also the day that I read the Imperial College study that day myself. And began doing some research on Imperial College and started me down the road that I've been on most of this year. So uh, I, I think that is the most defining political moment. Biggest winner for 2020. Aaron, we go to you first this time. Fear was the biggest winner. And I'm not saying the fear won, but it is it is the biggest winner. I mean, that's what was driving that uh, from most of the, the normal people of the United States who just wanted to earnestly trust government. I, I think it was all out of a sense of fear. And when you're making fear-based decisions, basically nothing good can happen. So fear was the biggest winner for me. Mm. Todd? There are so many losers. This one popped out immediately to me. Amy Coney Barrett, she must like not even be able to believe the level of good fortune she had in terms of uh, the timing of everything. I mean, just a few months later, and there's no way she's ever on that court. And the way she got through compared to Kavanaugh, I think she's clearly one of the very few winners in this entire year. Josh? The biggest winner of the year 2020, hands down from my perspective, is the Chinese Communist Party. 
the, the rise of China has been an ongoing trend for decades. Neoliberal elites of both parties have exacerbated this. They have done everything imaginable to only accelerate this trend. But if you're China, what could possibly have gone any differently that you would have preferred this year? They've gotten everything they wanted. They The pandemic launched from Wuhan. It has debilitated the entire world. The personal protective equipment that we saw early on, we Americans were horrified at the fact that they had all of our supply chains, the pharmaceuticals, the semiconductors, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then as the year has gone on and on, they've even engaged in geopolitical nonsense. They had a border skirmish with India where people died back in the middle of the summer. They were threatening Taiwan on a daily basis. China has been the dominant player of the year 2020, which obviously necessarily means that America, by definition, has been the loser because that's our biggest geopolitical rival. That's a great answer. Uh, a, a president that they have not enjoyed getting, trying to get along with the last four years may have been defeated. You can throw that into your answer, Josh. And for even perspective, where was China at the beginning of this year? Um, they were facing uh, unprecedented unrest in their chief financial district in Hong Kong, right? I mean, uh, up, up, you know, unrest, upheaval in Hong Kong. Uh, they were facing a, a, a trade war with the United States and maybe a one the U- U.S. could or couldn't win. Uh, maybe it was mutually assured destruction, but they were getting dinged in ways they had not before, right? And and now look where they have ended the year compared to where they started, Josh. That that That's a sad and... and uh, breathtakingly correct answer, brother. All yeah, right. no, th- I, I literally forgot to mention the presidential election somehow. Thank right. you. That's uh, that's the obvious thing to add to that as well. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? Who was the biggest winner of the year? Yeah, that is an outstanding answer by Josh that I haven't even considered. But my answer is more in line with Aaron's, actually. Uh, the big winner this year was disinformation and the effectiveness with which it was weaponized, whether it was Trump's conspiracy theories or the national press telling us that the financial ties between the Biden family and Chinese government were discredited Russian propaganda. There was a nonstop flow of disinformation in 2020 that had a paralyzing effect on the country and left many, many of us feeling confused and fearful. And that is a perfect environment for those seeking power to take advantage. That's a very good answer as well. Uh, I'm going to go meta. The spirit of the age. And I think it kind of incorporates all of your answers, actually. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to vote for the spirit of the age. I think it won on every single front. Spiked the end zone on every single front. It won every battle. Um, it's now guaranteed to win no matter who goes to court or who wins elections. It ended the year getting to redefine a gender, redefine a vote, redefine an election, redefine news, redefine an election day, redefine science, redefine data, redefine news, uh, redefine free speech, redefine what is and isn't an essential business, uh, redefine what isn't and isn't a school, uh, redefine what isn't isn't your face. Should I go on? Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, the spirit of the age is unleashed and since most of your churches are closed and a lot of the ones that are open aren't much of a threat, uh, unopposed. So that was my biggest winner of the year. All right, Todd, we go to you. Biggest loser for 2020. We the people. Any metric you want to talk about as a matter of law, constitutionally, lockdowns, mostly peaceful protests, on and on and on it goes. It's been a disaster. Josh, what do you think? 
yeah, I had basically the same answer as Todd. I mean, the, the natural flip side of what I just said about China being the biggest winner is necessarily that America is the biggest loser. And there's any number of ways you can look at that. We've talked about Fauci already. I, 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 Steve, I just cannot stop thinking about the anarchy that we saw this summer. Those images just to this day continue to haunt me. The rioting, the looting, the arson, murder up double digits in urban corridors across this country, a presidential election where the stakes were exceedingly high, went the incorrect way, or at least it appears to be going the incorrect way. Just a very, very, very deeply troubling year. Um, and like you, I, I sincerely, I, I really do wonder whether we're actually going to be able to get back what we have so willfully given away. Aaron? To me, it was Mike Pence. I mean, just the absolute flaccid nature of of that man uh, that we've criticized before, and then just saying, "Hey, let's uh, let's see who the lowest hanging fruit we can get is on this coronavirus task force," and, and he's my big, biggest loser. Paul, Mike Bloomberg. The man spent over one <laughs> billion dollars. Wow, on a that seems like that was ten years ago. I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. $1 billion only to walk onto that debate stage like a deer in the headlights and get completely emasculated by Elizabeth Warren mm -hmm. after months of terrible campaign ads and awkward endorsements of big gay ice cream. Warren made him her personal <laughs> hand puppet to the point where it was uncomfortable to watch, even if you disliked the former mayor. That's a good answer again. Um, has he surpassed me in the Democratic delegate count yet? I don't know. Has he surpassed me? Um, uh, my biggest loser, I'm, I'm, you're going to notice a lot of my answers, man. I'm feeling meta about this year, okay? I think truth is dead. Epistemology is dead in America. Um, and I think it's just a matter of whether or not it will ever be resurrected before it is too late. I think truth is the biggest loser. Um, epistemology, uh, looking to understand why we know what we know and whether what we know is true or not. Uh, the lack of intellectual curiosity. Um, you know, to me, the image of that CNN anchor lecturing Harvey Risch, the Yale epidemiologist every, earlier this year, the Yale physician, I should say, earlier this year on hydroxychloroquine. And again, I have no idea whether the drug works or not. There's a bunch of studies that go back and forth on it. But, but to label it dangerous when it had been on our shelves for, you know, 60 years, according to the FDA, it was safe for human consumption. And to have this guy lecture him that your studies are superior to his actual treatments of patients. Uh, I just, you know, I, I, to me, truth is dead uh, in America. All right. Best politician. Josh, you get to go first this time. Best politician. I think this actually, for me, was the easiest answer of everything that we've prepared for today. The answer is Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has really distinguished himself this year. He has been a governor who has taken a, uh, well, with, with the possible exception, obviously, of South Dakota. Uh, South Dakota, obviously, being a very small state population-wise, Florida being a very large state. Ron DeSantis has nonetheless taken a, a, an approach that is kind of sticking a proverbial middle finger to the conventional wisdom of all the elites represented by Fauci, Burks, and the whole coronavirus task force. And he has essentially allowed Florida to be open. Uh, my brother's going to, like, a full normal wedding in Florida in, like, a week or two. It, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. That would never happen in most states nowadays. And you know what? The data there is showing that he was right to do so. Unless I'm grossly mistaken, which I don't believe I am, fatality rates, none of the relevant data indicates that he has made a mistake. So good for Ron DeSantis. I think he's positioned himself very well for 2024 if he decides to, to run in the presidential primary as well. Yeah, I was just in his state. 
And now our state has been one of the freer here in Iowa in the country. Um, but um, I was just in his state. And except for the uh, Chinese face diaper that doesn't work at uh, Disney World, the rest of the time there, we greatly enjoyed ourselves. Um, just a little uh, a little tip on the dope rhyme. I'm hearing Ron DeSantis's state is, I mentioned earlier uh, earlier this week, I thought that next year we're going to see them launch a full frontal assault on COVID stand. I'm, I'm hearing a uh, some B-52s in that assault may be taken off from uh, from the state of Florida here in the, in the next couple of days. So be on the lookout for that. That they are going, they're going after COVID stand. Anyway, Todd, best politician of the year. You can't go wrong with the DeSantis answer, but I went with Christy Nome. The, the, the fight was going to come to Florida. It, was, it wasn't really a choice, though, for uh, Governor DeSantis. He just had to j- decide what side he was going to be on. With Christy Nome, it, it was more of a choice. It's, it's South Dakota. She managed to take advantage of a moment uniquely and thrust herself and her state forward in a way that is just harder to do than in Florida. So that's why I gave her the edge. Aaron, your local sheriff who decided not to enforce lockdown or mask edicts. I mean, if you're living in a state where the governor is saying you must lock down your businesses, you must lock down your restaurants, you must wear a face diaper. What are they going to do if your local sheriff or your local law enforcement is not going to enforce that? They're not going to go for the optics of sending in the National Guard. So that's my politician of the year. All right. Paul Alexander, your choice for best politician of 2020. To me, there was only one high-profile, top-tier politician who escaped 2020 completely unscathed from both the left and right, and that was Nikki Haley. She headlined the first night of the RNC with a great speech and has been able to remain in good standing with both the Trump base and the Bush wing of the GOP. She's steered clear of controversy and is largely perceived as a non-polarizing, competent leader. And that is an impressive feat in 2020. Yeah, she's going to be if if Trump doesn't run again in 2024. She will be, and we have more of a traditional primary on the right. She will be the GOP establishment candidate this time. Some kind of hybrid of Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio. But uh, I would say she's to the right of both of them. Maybe not as much to the right as people on our show would like, but um, probably about as far right as the GOP establishment could go. Um, I thought Anthony Fauci was the best politician of the year. Um, I mean, he managed to see his power and prestige only grow with every wrong prediction and every flip-flopped analysis that he made. I mean, the guy is, as the great prophet Mike Tyson once said, impregnable. Uh, He was even the first to compare COVID to the flu. He did that in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine, um, no less. And somehow that indignity got attached to Trump when he picked up on it. Everybody thinks he's the one that introduced that nomenclature. No, that originally came from uh, Air uh, uh, Air Fauci. Uh, He's been on every side of every coronavirus issue. If If you can literally find a clip of him this year, literally taking any position on this, you want someone to take. He's on every side of it. Uh, he became an unelected potentate. Uh, and then after being cast out from the Trump administration, albeit way, way too late, um, he is slated to return in full glory in 2021 should Joe Biden be inaugurated next month. So uh, to me, uh, Anthony Fauci is the politician of the year. Uh, I'm, I'll start this time. Biggest traitor. I think it's Attorney General Bill Barr. 
I think he's a complete total fraud. I've been saying it for months, and I, I don't want to hear, well, they, you know, Department of Justice policy means they couldn't tell us Hunter Biden was under investigation. Can brother get a leak? Man, they've been leaking crap out of that Department of Justice more times than you can say Mueller in a minute, okay? It's been a leakocracy for four damn years. Can, can, can the other guys get a leak? Can a brother get a leak? One leak? One, how about one leak? One leak, maybe. You know, because it was leaked last week to CNN. So could somebody have leaked that, you know, maybe six, seven, eight months ago while we're all getting deplatformed and shadow banned for commenting and reporting on a story that's actually true? Could that have happened, maybe? All right? The guy did not a damn thing. Julie Swetnick's out there still marauding around the hinterlands, accusing Brett Kavanaugh of fake rape. Um, no one that no one involved in whatever the hell the Mueller probe was about that I'm aware of is, is that really matters is going to jail. What did that guy do other than take one call, drink, drop a tall drink of water on the moron Adam Schiff once and play some damn bagpipes? Didn't do a damned thing for the last couple of years after he brought the Mueller investigation to a head. Nothing. So that's my choice. Paul, you get to go second. I will go with the officer who knelt on the neck of George Floyd for nine minutes, Derek Chauvin. His murder of Floyd was a betrayal of his oath to serve and protect, and it gave those already peddling an anti-police narrative the ammunition they needed to go mainstream and get sympathy from the press, which has endangered the lives of every police officer in America and ultimately made the country less safe. Hmm. That's a good answer. Josh, what do you think? I'm agreeing with the Democrat on the panel way too much. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, those are both outstanding answers. My answer would be big tech as an industry. And if I have to distill it down, I would kind of narrow it down, of course, to Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey in particular. I mean, we, we've seen over and over again for the past three, four five years, really ever since James Damore at Google kind of had his infamous, you know, uh, manifesto memo, whatever you want to call it back in 2017, I believe it was. But what Facebook and Twitter did combined to the New York Post reporting on Hunter Biden mm-hmm. in Oct- October 14th to October 15th, literally two and a half weeks before the election, one of the most brazen attempts by industry goliaths, titans of industry, to manipulate and distort an election outcome that I have certainly seen in my lifetime. And you know what? I refer to it at the time as big tech's Pearl Harbor attack on the American media, on the American people. It was actually my impetus to get more directly involved in the big tech fight, which is something that I opine on pretty regularly these days. That was that was reprehensible. And I would say it was un-American. Outstanding answer. Agree with every word. Aaron. Your neighbor with the in this house, we believe yard sign. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Oh, my. I I just those are I mean, wow. I mean, why don't you just come out of your home with one of these? I mean, that thank you for that answer. That's an outstanding answer. Wish I would have thought of that about that myself, Todd. Well, uh, Josh is absolutely on the right track, as was Paul when he talked about this year's winner. But it is uh, it is the media led by the poster child that is Goebbels, Jake Tapper. There's no issue whether it's lockdowns. The actual data regarding how dangerous uh, coronavirus is, uh, the, the BLM protests, the election count. When we needed somebody to not just drink the kool-aid they're the ones who are supposed to do that instead every entity can count on getting interference run by the modern media they are in fact an enemy of the state bravo man i i can't 
you guys are you guys are crushing this so far if i if i do say so myself and frankly i'm gonna give myself the credit which probably surprises none of you because i'm wearing a tie and so you guys know if dace is wearing a shirt with the top button buttoned and he's hanging himself with a tie you got to come correct and you guys are crushing this right now. So well done. Hey, I also want to remind you, I told you about the Bloomsie box earlier. Deadline's running out also on Omaha Steaks, guys. So uh, one of the best gifts you can give to someone you love or yourself this year is the gift of meat. Get their deluxe grillers assortment right now from Omaha Steaks with their 100% money back guarantee, which they're not worried about you taking advantage of because you're, you're not. You're, you're going to love these, okay? Uh, perfectly top-aged uh, top, top sirloin steaks along with other incredible meats and amazing sides and of course those famous omaha steaks desserts and right now you get that package along with four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer at an exclusive price when you go to omahasteaks.com that's omahasteaks.com slash dace that's my last name d-e-a-c-e type that into the search bar uh, and you can shop uh, for some of the best gourmet gifts of the season if there's other things you want to get they've got a wide assortment of stuff for the carnivore in your family or you if that would be you omahasteaks.com slash dace at omahasteaks.com slash dace all right so we are off and running here with part one of the Dace Group year-end roundtable. Myself, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, Josh Hammer. He is the op-ed page editor over at Newsweek. And Paul Alexander, he is the former senior campaign strategist for, on the media side, for Tulsi Gabbard's presidential campaign. We'll continue. The category we're going to lead off with when we come back, most boring. We'll start there when we return. Stay tuned. here with a special year-end edition two hours of the year-end dace group roundtable myself steve dace aaron mcintyre todd erzin yes we are dressed up at least for this show uh because it is the year-end edition we're also joined by op-ed page editor over at newsweek our good friend josh hammer and our new friend paul alexander who is the former communications uh, strategist for the tulsi gabbard presidential campaign and has shattered a glass ceiling here uh on the steve day show he is the first democrat to ever appear uh as a panelist on the year-end dace group roundtable I think he's hanging in there so far, man. Yeah. Yeah. Undeniably so. I'm, I, frankly, I've agreed to them uh, far too often, and it's I'm uncomfortable with it, to be brutally honest with you. Okay? And any um, anytime you throw shade at uh, the ex-mayor uh, of uh, New York City, we're, we're down with that. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, some things are just objectively true. Yes. Yeah, like he's a fiend. It's science. I, I, exactly, yes. All right, let's get to it. Let's continue on. Let's begin with most boring. And Paul, since I talked you up, you get to go first. What was the most boring thing of 2020 or person for that matter? Sean Hannity. If you watch one Hannity monologue, you're pretty much set for that entire month. I find him so remarkably boring and predictable. I can't believe he's still going on about Hillary Clinton's emails on a nightly basis in 2020. Nothing personal against the guy, but if I want to get thoughtful, conservative commentary on a story, I'll go to you, Steve, or Ben Shapiro, or Glenn Beck. Sean Hannity is on the very bottom of that list. I can't say that other people that work on this show haven't had this opinion in the past. 
anyway todd your thoughts uh the church speaking of meta we've had some important plucky wins from christian pastors on first amendment grounds and also the uh, orthodox jewish community uh in new york so i'm speaking very corporately i if if uh, hopefully josh uh, hammer doesn't mind me uh pulling them in under the big tent but in terms of meta the narrative uh, in this 2020 year with so much darkness the light what are our priorities as a human species? Why we live? We've been honestly almost nowhere to be found, and it's depressing as hell. It is interesting that you had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really, or once-in-a-generation opportunity here to reset a culture's priorities. Yes. Right? And people thinking, as Aaron mentioned in the very first category with fear, people thinking existentially in ways maybe we haven't in a long time as a people, right? When drunk on our own. Right. Uh, avarice and complacency. And a lot of our churches just couldn't be bothered just, and just decided yawned. to stay shut down. They're, uh, they're, they're Netflix and chilling just like everybody else. It's yeah. pathetic. But I'm sure everything's PG and G rated, so it's okay. Josh. I think the most boring of the year 2020 is Kamala Harris. I think she is the most milquetoast, predictable, you know, she, she says nothing original. She says nothing original whatsoever. She always is triangling her position to be exactly in the middle of the Overton window of accepted opinions within the Democratic Party. She is she's a classic politician. And you know what? There's a reason that what she didn't win a single delegate in the entire Democratic presidential primary, if I recall. Right. So and that's what actually what makes it even scary, though, right, is that Joe Biden, obviously, being 78 and senescent, Kamala Harris is going to have largely unprecedented power, quite likely, as a vice president in this incoming or likely incoming administration. And the fact that she is such a kind of Svengali-like, easily manipulated political figure, I think, is pretty harrowing. So what, what you're really saying is we could have rena renamed this category uh, the Peter Principle, Kamala Harris. Is that that's what I hear you saying, right? She is <laughs> rising to the level of her own boredom. Uh, I mean, I, Paul's not going to say anything. His candidate took her uh, uh, took her to task and depanted her on a national stage. And <laughs> I, I mean, she tried. There was one moment during the Democratic primary where you, you remember this, where she tried to kind of uh, push the boundaries of their Overton window when she talked about, hey, I, when they asked her about like uh, some environmental cause or something, and she said, remember she said, hey, I like a good burger. Remember that? Yeah. We talked about that clip at the time. I think she was out of the race in like a month. Okay. I mean, like that was like her one attempt to be an, a person, to not be a construct, and it didn't work. And and so being a construct has worked very well for that woman. I, you know, hate the game, not the player. All right, Aaron, most boring. Those countless minutes and really hours I wasted in March, April, and early May waiting for the White House Coronavirus Task Force briefings to start. For one, they were always, always at least a half an hour late. And then two, I mean, insanity reigned in my mind. This day, this day, this day, sanity will finally reign. And then I just kept coming back like a dog to the vomit. Uh, this day, sanity will reign. This day, we're actually going to say, hey, you know what? This is not as bad as we had feared. Nope. It was just the same old, same old every day. Man, I felt that way too. And then they had that one where they announced the reopening plan. Remember that? How well they put, how how well that was put on? Hey, maybe okay. Dr. Burks ain't yeah. so bad. And, I, and I, I don't do this very often, man, but I did. I sent a personal note to my old uh, cruise campaign uh, pal, Kellyanne Conway. I'm like, man, you guys really crushed that. That was really well done. Then she wrote me back. Thank you very much. Then the next day, the next two days, actually, Trump went out there and trashed Brian Kemp of Georgia yep. for reopening a state too fast. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> okay. You know, whatever. 
Uh, for me, it's the virtue signaling and social justice warring at the sporting events. It's just so such obviously contrived box checking that when I feel about this kind of what Paul was just saying about Sean Hannity. Okay. Like I, I deserve better than this. I'm smarter than this. Most of us are. I deserve better than the black national anthem that no one even knew existed. Okay. Uh, At the first, uh, at the kickoff of the first NFL game of the year, we, we deserve a better class of race pimp uh, as a society. Um, It's not even worth getting mad about, right? You just kind of like, Mute the TV, count to 10. I don't know if you do this, Aaron, when you're watching a game Mm -hmm. and the obligatory segment comes up because you know it's on the rundown. All right, talk about social justice coming out of this break. All right, and and it's all, and and so you just mute the TV, count to 10, yawn, right? Refill your cranberry uh, Canada dry ginger ale, which is a very good drink, by the way, right? And then you hit the unmute, and if it's still going, you just mute it again. And then just wait till they're done and you move on. It's not even worth getting mad. It's just so bad. It's so vapid as a virtue signal. It's just, it's, it's boring. It's, as Casey Kasem, the great prophet, once said, it's effing tedious, man. It's effing tedious. All right, Todd, most charismatic of 2020. Antifa, you know, <laughs> beyond the ten- they charisma is what carries you beyond the temper tantrum and just keeps it going they're the energizer bunny you need something burnt down they're right there you need a punch in the face they'll do it for you relentless (laughs) antifa always rings twice (laughs) all right paul you're most charismatic of the year that was a dark answer, Todd. Yes, it was. This went to a dark place. Yes. <laughs> I I was tempted to say Mike Rowe because he's the only person I know who could go on liberal and conservative media and still be universally loved. But if we're, if we're going to keep it to politics. You can I'll keep it to whatever you want. You can make the answer Mike Rowe if you want. It can be anything. Yeah. I'll give two answers then. I'll go with Dan Crenshaw. I think he is infinitely likable and very smooth. He's the only Republican that went on Bill Maher this year who just ran circles around the guy and left him absolutely speechless. Uh, I was very impressed by him. All right. Aaron, most charismatic. Joe Exotic. He is the guy. I mean, he's the the main character of what amounts to Owl My Balls in America this year. Uh, I simultaneously hope he is locked up for the rest of his life and rots away in prison and hope he's elected president one day because that's what this country deserves. (laughs) Leave Aaron alone. He's baiting. (laughs) Josh, go ahead. So Joe Exotic is actually probably objectively the correct answer, but I'm going to take this in a totally different direction, actually. Um, The Jewish people uh, within the last month and a half, two months, lost possibly their single greatest public ambassador on the global stage, who was Rabbi Laura Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom, who passed away, sadly, at the relatively young nowadays age of 72. He had just released his latest book only a month or two before he passed away. He, he was really kind of the embodiment, not just of modern 21st century Jewish wisdom, but, you know, as Robbie George, the great Catholic intellectual, wrote really beautifully in a recent Mosaic magazine essay, he really just spoke for people of faith more generally. He was a staunch defender of faith, about the role of faith in the public square. He was he, he opposed kind of, you know, uh, vogue historical notions of separation and church and state and all of that rubbish. And he was just a wonderful, truly learned man who actually was quite charismatic. If you listen to his speeches, he had a wonderful personality that could fill up the entire room. 
Um, so just kind of a personal tribute here to uh, the great Rabbi Lord Sachs. May his memory be a blessing for all. Mm. This is one of the few categories I did not go meta. To me, the answer is Trump. I mean, the reality is nobody dominates a room, our living rooms, news cycles, social media accounts. Nobody, nobody dominates any setting he's mentioned, uh, referred to. Um, whole conversations change. You can have conversations with people where you believe you are on an epistemo- epistemological journey and the minute his name gets mentioned, suddenly there's either um, uh, baited excitement or furrowed brow and it's just like the truth went out the window. Squirrel, what's your opinion of Trump? I, I mean, it, uh, to me, I think he's the answer. Um, what was the bummest rap of 2020? Josh, I'll go back to you first this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, not to repeat an answer, but from my perspective, it's probably Ron DeSantis, right, who I think is not getting the credit that he deserves, obviously, which makes sense, obviously, because the media, as you know, we all know here, just loves to bash Republicans and make fun of and criticize and condemn every single thing they do. But, uh, you know, again, we've talked about South Dakota already, but with the exception of South Dakota and maybe a couple other states, Florida has really been a genuine trailblazer for a major, highly populated state there. And I just don't think Ron DeSantis is getting anywhere remotely near the credit that he deserves from that so that would that would be my answer okay i get a feeling we're going to be talking about ron DeSantis a lot yep next year aaron i go back to you uh bummest rap that would be lowercase s science imagine where we would be as a country if our leaders and our scientists had earnestly tried to follow the lowercase s science instead of the uppercase s science indeed indeed you can make the case science it is the biggest loser yep. f- from an earlier category of 2020. Aaron, or I'm sorry, Todd. That's a fantastic answer. I, I honestly think this is the easiest answer. And objectively, to borrow from Josh, there is only one answer on this. And it is Donald Trump. It, he, you could talk about him deserving to lose, being bad at his job. I've said all of those things. I'm not a fan. I was dragged kicking and screaming into voting for him. But my God, hey. Tyrant, racist, everything that he supposedly is, nothing is close Don't to Don't forget the, anti-Semite. Okay, all of Hitler, it. Hitler, literally Hitler. Yes. Yeah, uh, it, it's all preposterous. Uh, how many people believe it in this country? We've been driven mad over orange man bad. I honestly don't think there's another answer than Donald Trump, no matter whether you think he deserves to lose this presidency or not. And I, I, in many ways, I do. All right, Paul, what do you think? What was the bummest rap of 2020? That's an interesting uh, perspective from Todd. I I think our honeymoon period for me on the show is about to end. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the warning. I'm going to go with Chris Wallace. I think he has been unfairly maligned by conservative media this year. He clearly prides himself on trying to take after his father, Mike Wallace, in being a straight news reporter. And perhaps sometimes because he's on Fox News to avoid the stigma of being seen as a partisan, he will overcompensate with how he covers Democrats. No one is perfect. But I do believe he tries to do an honest job and doesn't deserve the flack he's received this year from many on the right. I love Paul's self-awareness there that he knew he might just take a bullet between the eyes after that answer. That's why let's let him go on, because at least he knew he didn't hide it. Finally, the first Democrat to appear on this roundtable is given an answer that repulses me. I was beginning. I was beginning to get concerned. Okay, that indeed 2020 was going to prove once again it is the worst year because I was going to agree with every one of Paul's answers. Finally, he has said something I find utterly repugnant. Thank you, Paul.
Got it. All right, my answer. Um, I'm going back to the Trump card, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it around. That Trump is petty and vengeful. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen. Uh, some of that penny and vengeful streak this year, as a matter of fact. I mean, he let Debbie Burks with her bedazzled face shield roll him. Uh, he let Anthony Fauci with his mask that he takes off at ball games when he's not throwing first pitching into the fourth row of the third baseline. Uh, he let Fauci roll him. Uh, he let Bill Barr roll him. Uh, he let Christopher Ray roll him. You know, Joe Biden's talking point that he got panned for in the in the first debate when he called Antifa an idea. That's a direct quote from testimony that Christopher Ray, Trump's appointee as director of the FBI, gave sworn testimony to Congress recently, uh, right before that debate. All these people are either still getting paid or employed uh, in Trump's government. Uh, he took Rudy's advice to be a douchebag uh, at the first debate, as Paul referenced. Uh, he let Twitter roll him. Remember when Twitter started coming after him? We're like, oh boy, I don't know. You want to pick that fight, right? Right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they did. Uh, he just let them roll him too. Uh, never really substantively threatened censorship online whatsoever. Um, it turns out Donald Trump isn't petty and vengeful at all which is too damned bad. This year would have gone so much better, so much better if Trump would have been pettier and more vengeful. Can I get a, can I get a witness on that? Seconded. Yes, yes. All right, fairest rap. Todd, fairest rap of the year. Karen, she's legion, she's everywhere, and I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> and a Merry Christmas to you. All right, Paul, fairest rap of 2020. I'm going to go with Rand Paul. I think he is widely seen by most members of either party as a stubborn, bullheaded pain in the ass. And I don't think it's a bad thing, necessarily. I think he's very... I was about to say, tell me more. Okay, but anyway, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. I, I think he's very consistent in his values, whether you agree with him or not. And in a Senate with a slim majority, having someone that committed to their principles can cause a lot of headaches. Josh, fairest rap. Andrew Cuomo and by extension, Bill de Blasio. Uh, I, you know, I wrote a column in October essentially calling them anti-Semitic because they're anti-Semitic. Uh, but they're anti-Semitic because they're, they're, they're deeply progressive individuals who just despise Western religion, Western culture, Western civilization in general. And by extension, hate Christianity and, of course, the underlying wellspring of Christianity, which obviously is Judaism. But they got the fairest rap because they were just rebuked at the highest level by the Supreme Court, of course, led by uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. So I think people are starting to see these petty tyrants for who they actually are. Hmm. Aaron. Anthony Fauci, by the branch Covidians, he's regarded as a god. By those in team reality, he's regarded as a fiend. Both those things can be simultaneously true. Especially given who is representing both of those viewpoints, right? Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with the media. I thought that the media turned out this year to be everything that was ever claimed, thought, or predicted this year and then some. All right. All right. When we come back, we continue part two of our special two hour year end days group, the year in review 2020. What was the best comeback of the year? That's the category we will begin with when we return. Stay tuned. With Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Yes, 
Do not adjust your screens. You are seeing me in a tie on the air because it is, and Merry Christmas to all of you, it is the special two-hour edition of the year-end day group with myself, Steve Dace, Totters, and Aaron McIntyre. And this year was so depressing, it required not one, but two different individuals to join the panel in order to look back upon it. Paul Alexander, former senior communication strategist for the Tulsi Gabbard presidential campaign and the first Democrat to ever appear on the year-end roundtable. And then our good friend Josh Hammer, uh, op-ed page editor over at Newsweek. We'll continue on with these gentlemen here looking back on the year that was that we want to end in just a moment. But first, don't forget you can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and MeWe at Steve Dace. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And a lot of you keep telling me, hey, I look for Steve Dace on Parlor. I can't find you. You got to look for at Steve Dace on Parlor. And then also check out our new YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. If you're a podcast listener, we appreciate you just as much. Uh, please remember, though, to show your appreciation for us by hitting that subscribe button, leaving us a five star review on whichever podcast platform you prefer, because the more of those we get, it helps the show to grow. Thousands of you have done these things for us already, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Got a note from our crack sales staff here at The Blaze yesterday said, man, your show is just killing it with Built Bar, and they're coming back again next year. But I really can't take much of the credit because this product is so good, it sells itself. I mean, guys, they they give me a ton of it for free, and I still go and buy more when they have new flavors, like they have for Christmas with Candy Cane Brownie. You have never had a protein bar that is both this good, this easy on your tummy, and then also this nutritious at the exact same time with a texture that's much more like a candy bar, like a Three Musketeer, than that chalky aftertaste that you normally get from protein bars. Less than 200 calories in every single one, all 20 plus flavors covered in real chocolate, either the milk chocolate variety or the white chocolate variety, like the brand new white chocolate sea salt caramel. That is incredible. All right. Up to 20 grams of protein, less than five grams of sugar, and five net carbs in every bar, and less than 200 calories in every bar. I'm telling you, this is one of the best things that's happened this year, is getting to know about Built Bar. Unlike Bill Bar, don't be confused that when you go to the website. Go to BillBar.com. It can't do anything for you. It'll just write letters, give a speech, play the backpipes. But you go to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T, and it'll do all those things I just mentioned for you. BuiltBar.com. Use my name, Dace, in the promo code. Get 20% off your very first order. 20% off promo code Dace at BuiltBar.com. All right, gentlemen, let us continue our year in review. Best comeback of 2020. Aaron, you get to go first. This was one that I struggled with, but maybe it's recency bias. bias. I, I think it's Star Wars with The Mandalorian. That is engendering so much goodwill. And then not a, not amongst only the Star Wars fandom, but amongst the broader culture, just because of how good of a show that is. Um, and then how, how, how far down, relatively speaking, Star Wars fell after the most recent trilogy of, of films. I, I think uh, the best comeback was, was definitely Star Wars. By the way, along those lines on Disney Plus right now, they have an updated Lego animated Star Wars holiday special that is 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 based on the new trilogy but it it brings in the the other stuff as well and it does it brilliantly it's really clever it's really funny um I would highly recommend I saw it, it. Yeah. you have seen it too yeah. you agree with me it was good uh, wow 
it was not great, but it was okay. That's Ebenezer Scrooge wishing you a Merry Christmas right now. Well, okay. low, low bar, man. All low right. bar. All right. There it is. There it is. Todd, go ahead. You're next. Best comeback. Well, you know, I'm not being as, that's a great answer by Aaron, and uh, I'm not being as original in my thinking this year just because I think there's just some obvious answers. Again, it's Joe Biden. How is that? That guy's president. It's amazing. This category is best comeback, not best necromancer. Just think but about yes. it. Oh, that's coming later. Trust me. But it's it's <laughs> phenomenal that he's the pres- going to be the president of the United States. Utterly phenomenal. All right, Josh, what do you think? Best comeback of the year. So I thought about Joe Biden, but I'm not really sure that he ever went away to make the term comeback appropriate. So I, this, is, this is a very tough question, admittedly. The year 2020 was just obviously epically Armageddon-like, and there's not really a whole lot of uh, good stuff to sort through the rubble. With the major caveat that I'm not fully confident in this answer, I guess by definition, I'll say the U.S. Supreme Court, because we started the year, the most recent Supreme Court term obviously ending in June and July was horrible. One of the worst terms for conservatives in decades, you know, uh, the abortion, DACA, any number of Bostock, obviously, on Title VII, any number of cases that were just truly terrible from a conservative perspective. But... You know, a week or two before the election, we successfully confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is probably the single biggest ideological shift in one person replacing another since Clarence Thomas replaced Thurgood Marshall in 1991. And we've already seen some dividends from that, of course, in the Cuomo case out of Brooklyn. So, you know, I'm very pessimistic about all things judiciary related, Steve. You obviously know that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I could see this going in a number of different directions. But for now, that's at least a mild comeback. All right, Paul, your best comeback of 2020. That's an interesting answer from Josh, but I'm with Todd. How can it not be Joe Biden? He placed fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. By mid-February, the man had zero momentum, and many were writing his obituary. Ten months later, he's now the president-elect. Now, a lot happened in between then, and frankly, I'm not suggesting Joe Biden turn things around for Joe Biden. But nevertheless, that arc over ten months is remarkable and easily the best comeback of the year. I would agree in a typical year, that would be the easy answer. But I'm going meta again. All right. I'm back in my happy place. I'm going meta. I I think flat eartherism. Flat eartherism had the best comeback in 2020. It was thought to be dead. But alas, the faker your junk science, the more dishonest your COVID lies, the more likely that uh, you would be um, uh, reported about and you'd have your thoughts implemented as public policy, it seemed. Uh, Lockdowns don't work. Do them again. And again and again, uh, cases rise during your mask mandate. Hey, call for people to mask up even harder and mask up even more. Uh, hospitals aren't overflowing. Build field hospitals that will never get used anyway. Uh, one of my favorite moments I mentioned uh, CNN earlier. Let me do them again. Uh, CNN had a moment when Sanjay Gupta, uh, who isn't an epidemiologist, by the way, was on with Jake Tapper criticizing Dr. Scott Atlas for not being an epidemiologist as, while he was analyzing our own COVID policy. Um, okay. Uh, Another was when uh, I mentioned earlier uh, that schmucky CNN host was lecturing a Yale doctor about whether a study about hydroxychloroquine was a superior data set than uh, a doctor uh, in giving it to his patients and then observing in real time how they reacted to that treatment. It seems the more likely that you were to abandon the laws of, I don't know, 
biology, immunology, virology, basically everything, the more likely you were to abandon those things. Remember that guy, who was, the, who was that professor uh, from Harvard that became like a six-figure Twitter follow, peddling oh, panic porn, yeah. and Jordan Schachtel did like a Google search on the guy he, he was and like, found he does like exercise he, he science or something? He wasn't a professor. He was like a glorified researcher. Yes. I can't even remember his okay. name. It seemed like, it, I mean, dude, Somewhere Galileo is screaming, I told you so! It Eric seemed, Feigeldine. Thank you, thank you. It seemed like the more you were willing to abandon every predetermined and established law of science, the more likely you were to get on network television in 2020. Flat eartherism made a massive comeback this year. Paul, I'm going to go back to you. Who was the most original thinker of the year? For me, this one was actually easy. Andrew Yang, and by a wide margin. I like, I that's a good his, answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. I thought his presidential platform was fascinating. He's a really deep and interesting thinker who looks ahead and tackles issues like AI, automation, cryptocurrency. And he's not some blind partisan either. He just cares about people, in my opinion. So if he's not given a cabinet position in the Biden administration, I'm, I'm really hoping he runs for mayor here in New York. Good answer. Todd? Considering what you said about flat eartherism, if you're living in New York and you are a journalist or an ex-journalist and you step stick your neck out on a limb as early as you did, like Alex Berenson, you deserve mm. this award. That's a great answer. Yep. We were yeah. out there every bit as early as him, but I knew early on when I started the Black Mirror Update thing, we needed to find our partners in crime as fast as possible mm -hmm. and not worry about what, who gets credit when because th it was that urgent, the level of flat eartherism that was kicking in really quick. He refused to buy into it. He has a, a thing I saw on Twitter today where uh, he would tell you his politics are civil libertarian. That's what he would tell you his politics are. And he wrote today, I saw on Twitter, that he would have never guessed he would live to see the day that essentially civil libertarianism is a philosophy that exclusively exists in the right of center political spectrum because prior to this year, he would not have defined himself probably in that political mm -hmm. spectrum. All right, Josh, what do you think? Uh, most original thinker of 2020. A lot of possibilities here, honestly. Um, I think Scott Atlas is a good answer. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I, my good friend, Jordan Schachtel, frankly, is a good answer. Uh, Oren Cass, my friend in American Compass, is a good answer. But I'm going to give a shout out to another friend, actually, which is uh, Abigail Schreier, who is uh, the Orthodox Jewish woman who lives in Los Angeles. We've had her on the show. Book yeah. That has set the entire world on fire. Uh, this transgender craze about teenage girls. Um, Abigail is a brilliant, wonderful woman. She's a woman of faith, integrity. She has all the right values. The utter firestorm that was said about by this very modest Orthodox Jew writing this book on transgenderism continues to boggle my mind. Um, but good for her for defying, obviously, the sclerotic orthodoxy, the elites of all parties, all movements, etc. Um, so that's my answer. It's a good answer as well. Good answer so far in this category, Aaron. I'm afraid to go to you next. <laughs> I think uh, maybe rightfully so. No, I, I think it's Matthew Peterson and the the Claremont Institute over hmm. the American Mind as well. Early on in the days of the pandemic, and and we had him on, I think even last year as well. And I thought he was a pretty impressive dude. But he had some really prescient um, outlooks on where this was going back back in March and April as well. And uh, he's been right on the money with just the intersection of 
of conservatism and really understanding what the opponent and who the opponent is outside of a few places uh, like this show and and a, just a few others. There are not many people who really understand the threat of progressivism uh, better than I think Peterson does. So I kind of thought myself here because the obvious answer, particularly for me, would be Dr. Scott Atlas. And he is originally who I had down, but then I figured someone else was going to put him down. So I didn't. Okay. But I still like the answer that I have here. I'm going to go with Jason Whitlock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I thought he turned almost every conventional wisdom uh, at at the intersection of politics, uh, race, sports, pop culture, faith. I mean, I I don't know anybody in America turned over more money changers in 2020 than Jason Whitlock did. It's just like he just decided, you know what, man? Um, I'm just going the, the, the christening scene at the end of Godfather 2, Michael Corleone, every day. I'm just, every day I'm waking up and we're just like uh, settling family business, man, every single day. All right. I mean, there aren't any sacred cows and he just digs some old ones up just to skewer them again. So I'm going to go with Jason Whitlock. I thought no one this year, no one challenged more shibboleths of the damned this year than he did all right todd to you the most stagnant thinker of 2020 if the understanding of your faith and constitutional law leads you down the path of drag queen story hour is the price of freedom you're david french you are a heinous ridiculous thinker and you deserve scorn forevermore uh, that was going to be mine, but I knew Todd would would be would be all over that one. I, there's a list of people. I have a policy. I don't like blocking people on social media. There's a list of people I have to mute because if I didn't, I just I would become obsessed about destroying them. They 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 trigger me at that level. He is he is very high on that list. All right, Aaron most stagnant thinker the person who earnestly believed that 30 days to slow the spread would not inevitably become we have to stay (laughs) locked down even after the vaccine you are the most stagnant thinking person you do not deserve to live in a self-governing republic my hat's off to you and they don't that's the good news for them they don't deserve to live in one and, and they no longer do so there you go paul most stagnant thinker of 2020 Bernie Sanders, the root of every issue that society faces is the rich. The solution to every problem is to tax the billionaires. Stephen, the wealthy must pay their fair share because health care is a human right. That is every Bernie Sanders speech of the last decade. Uh, it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. All right, Josh, most stagnant thinker. Go ahead. So along similar lines as Todd's answer, I will go with Bill Kristol. Uh, the descent of Bill Kristol into- He is on that list. He is on the same list. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. His descent from you know a decades-long towering leader of the conservative movement, as that movement was known, into a Twitter troll. He is literally just a Twitter troll these days who, to my knowledge, is funded by Democrats and actively supports Democrats. He obviously publicly endorsed Joe Biden. He, he had the chutzpah, as we would say in Yiddish, to go on some Jewish-themed podcast and actually say with a quasi-straight face that Joe Biden would be better for U.S.-Israel relations than Donald Trump. 
And, you know, I, I eventually just, I haven't blocked him yet, but it, it was kind of a symbolic thing for me to unfollow Bill Crystal, someone whose thoughts for many years I, I took seriously, even when I didn't agree with him. But he has just descended into just total beyond comprehensible lunacy. And it's genuinely sad to see. Yeah. I'm going to go with the person, uh, mostly whites in the suburbs who believe the spirit of the age will now be satiated because they tossed Donald Trump overboard. Uh, and therefore, the uh, the Democratic Party will now return to Tulsi Gabbard's neighborhood. Um, you're wrong. Dead wrong. And if you give a mouse a cookie, remember reading that book to your oh, kids? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you give a Marxist a, uh, a government, is the, is the sequel book. And you are about to find out what happens when you open the city gate, uh, when they knock on the door and say, Landshark. And you open the gate and let the Trojan horse, let the O'Biden horse in. You are about to see what comes out of the back of it. And it will not be glorious. But it will include Pete Buttigieg as transportation secretary. Anyway, um, best photo op of the year. Paul, go. I am going to redeem myself for the Chris Wallace comment earlier and say <laughs> the visual of President Trump unmasking on the White House balcony after returning from Walter Reed less than 24 hours after some in the media were saying he was essentially on his deathbed. Mm -hmm. My personal feelings on Trump aside, that was a very powerful conquering hero type visual. And I thought the best photo op of the year. You know, we all thought on the right when we all did a gulp. When he got positive for COVID, we found out about that. And then that Friday when they sent him to the hospital, right? We're all sitting there thinking, oh, no. fire up the Chopin and the funeral march, man. This, this puppy's over. It actually took the dude getting COVID and coming out of the hospital to finally get on the message that we were over here screaming for months for him to be on, right? Yeah. All right, Todd, what do you think was the best photo op of the year? It just happened a couple of days ago, and it sums up so much. Uh, it's a it's a short video that went viral. It's the screaming teacher. It's the it's, you know it's the guy in the green oh, shirt okay. walking around mass oh, shaming the woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it says so much about the the fall of manhood, the cult of personality these days. What did our friend Jesse Kelly say about that guy? That's a guy who it's been too long since he's had to pick his teeth up, teeth oh, yeah. up off the floor. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Amen to that. All right, Josh, go ahead. So I feel like I'm talking a lot about like Jewish Israel issues, say. So you're, you'll forgive me for that, hopefully. But nonetheless, a very under discussed development this year has gotten lost in all the other million things that have happened was the signing of the Abraham Accords. And for my money, the best photo op was that photo at the White House on September 15th, I think it was, uh, with Donald Trump. Bibi Netanyahu and leaders from the UAE and Bahrain kind of all mm -hmm. smiling, grinning, holding up these uh, the signs of these uh, diplomatic agreements that have been signed to normalize relations. Really just a breakthrough thing uh, for uh, not just for peace, but also for national security, for countering Iran, countering uh, Turkey. Just a beautiful, wonderful, extremely positive development that has not gotten the coverage that it should have gotten because of everything else that's happened. Good answer. Aaron? For me, the best photo op of this year is Trump holding up the Bible in front of no. St. John's Episcopal Church after rioters the night before had attempted to burn it. That was the best photo op. I forgot all about that. Uh, I'm going to, guys, it's Fauci's first pitch at the National oh, yeah. guys. Yeah. It is the official portrait of 2020, guys. Here is, here is... All right, Josh is out there making all the the the, the Jewish Israel uh, analogies. I'll make one. Here, O Israel, behold, here is your King Saul. Here he is. 
All right. Watch him take the mound, America. Here, behold, behold your potentate. The one you asked for, give us a king so we can be like everybody else. Therefore, you may have a grifting fool who can't throw a ball, let alone across the plate, but on the first first baseline dugout instead. All right. Uh, to me, that's the official portrait of the whole year. And it was only appropriate that that game ended up getting rained out, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The game didn't even count. Yes. All right. Uh, enough already. What you're sick of. Josh, back to you first this time. Yeah, I mean, look, it's like the theme par excellence of this entire show, right? But I mean, I'm obviously sick of COVID fascism at this point. I mean, I, I Steve, we were we were on Twitter yesterday, kind of going back and forth a little bit about how like we're running out of family friendly ways to express yes. our complete yes. utter. Distaste. I ran out of those six months ago. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. I, and like, I, I, it is just insane to me, uh, truly insane. Like, look, like alternate universe, bizarro worlds kind of thing. That we are here. It's about to be Christmas. We're one week from Christmas. We are, what, nine months, nine and a half months removed from 15 days to slow the spread. And, you know, I still can't go to a restaurant. I can't go to synagogue. I can't do basic things without debilitating myself with this freaking face mask. It is just beyond insane. And to say I'm sick of it would be an understatement. Preach. Paul. I was very close to saying Jennifer Rubin. But I have to go with (laughs) Hillary Clinton. She is still saying in 2020 that she was born to be president and blaming everyone but herself for losing in 2016. Then she tells Joe Biden he should not concede under any circumstances while simultaneously saying how dangerous it will be if Donald Trump refuses to accept the election results. I'm so unbelievably tired of her, which pains me to say because I really like Bill Clinton and thought he was a very good president. But... I think you speak for a good portion of the people that voted for Hillary Clinton for president in 2016, actually. Todd, what are you sick of? Enough already. Uh, Election fraud. Not because there aren't serious issues that we will still talk about for years, but the more things change, the more things stay the same. Honest to God, after everything that's happened in 2020, and here we are with another ridiculous, this is the most important congressional election of our time argument with what's going on in the Senate in Georgia. I mean, it's preposterous, but here we are. See the story that Blaze published today? There's a study out of Georgia that already got over 100,000 people that didn't vote in the general, already registered for absentees to vote with the dump off, the ballot drop box in Georgia and looking at their profiles it, it looks like it's pretty clearly majority Democratic. You can only laugh. Now I do want to say this though. Uh, public service announcement on behalf of my inbox. That last answer is only from Todd Erzen. You can reach him at Erzen West E-R-Z-E-N Erzen West at Hotmail.com Email him please. I'm already getting enough emails as it is. Todd, Aaron, what are you sick of? Enough already. So uh, this one's a little bit out of left field, but Beyond Meat Incorporated. Do you think it's any mistake? Do you think it's just any coincidence that the biggest company, the biggest producer of so-called uh, plant-based meat products, their stock has a, a direct relationship Their stock price has a direct relationship with how many lies we've been told this year. If you look at their relationship uh, of their stock price with the number of lies and the egregiousness of the lies that we've been told this year, it's like it's like a V. It's like it's it it heads up like that. 
Okay, we can't even define what a gender is. We don't know what the laws of virology are. Is it any surprise to any one of you that we don't even know what meat is anymore? Enough. I've seen advertisements for Beyond Meat everywhere. I'm sick of it. I've seen them on the pro- I've seen news stories about it. I've seen them on the shelves at grocery stores. Enough. Plants are not meat. Plants are not meat. I'm I'm sick of it. Soylent Green is people. No. Uh, I, my enough already. I got to go with the mask holes, man. I mean, I have spent a good portion of my career battling cults, right? There was the the Trump cult in the primary, the, the toothless dude in Indiana screaming Goldman Sachs at Ted Cruz. Remember that? Okay. Uh, there was the Romney cult. The only reason you think it's a bad idea that a guy who literally has lied and flip-flopped his entire political career should be the G and gave Barack Obama his worst idea before he had it. There, there could not be any reason whatsoever for me to have that opinion other than I just hate Mormons. Remember that for, for years? Then there was, hey, if you think it's a bad idea that we have uh, more people on food stamps in the population of Spain during the Obama presidency, you cannot have that position for any reason other than you're a racist, right? Cult, cult, cult. Okay? That's all we do now. We just create political cults. This one, though, this is the most obnoxious cult that I have encountered yet. Okay? I mean, these are cults, you know, what's the famous prayer from Augustine? Lord, make me chaste, but just not yet. Just not yet. Right? Okay. This is where, Lord, teach me what turn the other cheek means. In 15 minutes. All right, you know what I'm saying? Uh, first thing, I'm going, Kenny, Kenny Rogers, coward of the county. All right, going to lock the door from the inside. And, and we're going to settle this like men. Well, at least I am. You're not. So I'm going to be the one settling this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the mask hole cult, dude. I mean, it's every guy who either deserved to get his ass kicked in high school and did, or still deserves, or, or was, or, or, could have benefited from the ass kicking in high school and has turned out to be the douchebag he is now. You know what I'm saying? The mask hole cult. Yes. We're with you. All right. Um, I'll go first this time. Worst lie. How do you choose the worst lie in the worst year of American history? How do you do that? How, how do you, how do you do that? But I'm going to go with Sweden. I've had somebody email me, tweet me today about Sweden. All right. Who's who today? Still, still has a death rate better than 22 other countries in the world, yep. including the UK, France. Uh, this one, okay, Peru, which was one of the very first countries in the world to lock down. All right. Um, the, what has gone on with Sweden this year is some of the worst gaslighting I have ever seen ever seen i had a guy hound me on my facebook page this week when are you going to tell the truth about what's going on in sweden i'm like when were you why were you emailing me when they were when they had fewer than uh, 10 deaths well over 100 days in a row why didn't you email me then you know what I, mean? I mean just the again how did it end up here that i am now um i i am the marlin fitzwater of sweden when my entire career, Paul Alexander's buddies have been trying to convince me the U.S. needs to be more like Sweden. I mean, what has gone on there this year with that is, is just, it is mind, mind, like people rooting for more Swedes to die. I, I just, that's the worst lie of the year to me, Todd. Mine's the same answer, lockdown slash Sweden. Meanwhile, in California, which has been locked down for evs and they can't get their numbers under control. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's Worst case numbers, death numbers of the year for California were like yesterday or something, right? Yep. Josh. Yeah, so, so the purported efficacy or science 
quote unquote science of the lockdowns is obviously the biggest lie. But just to mix it up a little bit, I'll give another answer. The biggest lie, you know, as we also already mentioned, is what was shot down by the court in the Cuomo versus Roman Catholic Diocese case, which was also a similar argument that was, you know, in the earlier California case, the Nevada case. We've seen it all across America, frankly largely from leftist governors, mayors, and bureaucrats, who are trying to submit that they can discriminate against houses of worship and religious institutions more than, for example, in the Nevada case, casinos. You know, I, I, can't, I can't remember if it was Justice Gorsuch or Justice Alito, but one of them in that case uh, involving Governor Sisolak in Nevada talks about how it is just unfathomable, it is not our tradition, that the craps table, the blackjack table, mm-hmm. has greater legal protection, to say nothing of moral protection, <laughs> yeah. than, than church and synagogue. So yep. that is the biggest lie of the year from my perspective. That's a great answer too, Aaron. Uh, biggest lie, same same general theme. It's non-pharmaceutical interventions. That's the original term from the Imperial College paper that popularized the idea of mass lockdowns, mass social distancings uh, forever, yo. Uh, so non-pharmaceutical interventions. That's not to say pharmaceutical interventions, uh, therefore, are all great. But I'm just saying non-pharmaceutical interventions, uh, that's, that's the biggest lie of the year. Paul? I was going to say the Imperial College of London study that was used to justify mm-hmm. the lockdowns, but I'll, I'll try and be different. Men can have periods. That's a good answer. Yep. That's a great answer. But you would have been right on with Imperial College. And you yeah. know what? When you read the introduction to the report, it says that we are unsure of how the virus spreads. But again, turn the page and listen to us lecture you about what policies you should do to mitigate the spread of a virus that we aren't sure how it spreads. And pretty much every modern Western government in the world listened to it as if they were Moses coming down from on high with stone tablets, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. When we come back, categories we have left, gentlemen. Uh, Destined for political stardom. Destined for political oblivion. Best political theater of the year. Worst political theater of the year. The most under and overreported stories of the year. The biggest government waste of the year, the best government money spent, boldest political tactic, worst scandal, best idea, worst idea. It's going to take a, we have to go through these things pretty fast is what we're saying. This happens every year though. Every year we're like, we're not getting through this. We're getting through this. It's just going to be really fast. All right. So the final leg of the year-end Dace Group two-hour year-end review roundtable is next year on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Sure, losing your hair is no fun, so let's talk about some options. You could go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment, get a prescription, then visit the pharmacy as you try not to go broke while you're attempting to not go bald, or you can try option number two, and that's keeps all from the comfort of your own home, but you're going to get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but keeps offers the generic versions so they're about half the cost so big savings there here's one more bonus with going with keeps the convenience it's all done online you answer a few questions snap a few pics a few pics of your hair and then a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you that's shipped directly to your door so big savings discretion uh and convenience how about even more savings with half off your first order right now when you go to keeps.com slash grow half off your first order at K-E-E-P-S, keeps.com slash grow. Take advantage of that today. All right, let's continue on. 
with the year in review Dace Group Roundtable. And we are next at Most Honest, Josh Hammer, Most Honest. So, you know, we mentioned him earlier, but haven't really talked about him very much. I think the answer here has to be Scott Atlas, right? I mean, talk about someone who is defying the group thing, who is defying the elite opinions of everyone surrounded by him and is willing to take the hits necessarily that come with defying that opinion. It's Scott Atlas, and he's been proven right so far as well. Paul, Alexander, what do you think? Most honest of the year. I think that's a great answer. I'm going to go with Tulsi Gabbard. I no longer work for her. She's leaving public office, and I have nothing to gain by singing her praises. But she is someone who stands by her convictions and does not bend to pressure. She says what she believes, regardless of the consequences, and I will always respect her for that. I think that's a good answer, based on what we saw this year. Aaron? Patrice Cullors, she's one of the uh, co-founders of Black Lives Matter, who said on a TV interview earlier this year, uh, speaking of the leaders of Black Lives Matter, yeah, we're trained Marxists. I wish the answer was different, but I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) Points for honesty. Yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, Twitter censorship, at least here at the end of the year. I mean, earlier this year, I got banned for a week because I used the term choke on it. Well, people on the left say things all that they don't get banned. They're just lying about why they're doing it. They can literally make you choke on it, actually. They're out in the open now. They're just flat out saying, if you tweet something, four legs good, two legs bad, you don't get to say. I mean, it's at least it's out in the open now. Thank you, Twitter. My answer is Tucker Carlson. I think he has become the closest thing uh, that we have in the what's left of America, in my view, to a Walter Cronkite kind of a character, meaning um, at at least since Bill O'Reilly was at his zenith in the late 90s, early 2000s at Fox with the O'Reilly factor. Um, It's the closest thing we have on the right to somebody who is with a major mega microphone and platform that is just doing whatever he can to discern what he thinks may or may not be true with no other agenda other than that most overrated aaron uh oppression you know if you're afraid to have a certain opinion if you're afraid to open your business if you are afraid to do this that and the other if you're afraid to go outside if you're afraid of all of these different factors brought about by a public policy or a government response to anything that is a form of oppression and i for one think it's overrated (laughs) all right that was sufficiently snotty paul That was a good answer, Aaron. I'm going to go with Kamala Harris. She imploded in spectacular fashion and dropped out before the Iowa caucuses. Her breakout moment was insinuating that Joe Biden was a racist. She had a very mediocre debate with Mike Pence, but she was heralded as empowering women because she deployed her painfully rehearsed, excuse me, I'm speaking line half a dozen times. She's taken every position under the sun and is never held accountable for her glaring hypocrisy. And now she's the vice president-elect. So go figure. Yeah, I'm with you guys. You and Josh said the same thing about her. But then when you get to the end of the story, it doesn't quite add up (laughs) with, with the narrative leading in. Todd. As a matter of science, data, and health, there's obviously a lot added up. But on that, the coronavirus itself. It's a bad flu. I said it at the beginning. It's still there. 300,000 people haven't died from the coronavirus. It's a lie. We'll find that out when we're probably dead, but it's true. Josh, most overrated. 
So, look, I mean, I voted for the guy and it, it's not like a pleasurable thing to say, but I think by definition, the most overrated person is Donald Trump. I mean, this is someone who has built his entire career for over seven decades on being nothing but a winner, on making the best deals, surrounding himself with the best people, et cetera. And, you know, we could, we could talk all day about the mail-in balloting and fraud. If it was there, you know, there's a million things we can talk about, but the bottom line is it looks like he's going to lose. Bottom line is don't make the worst management decision in American history and doubtful that they can uh, burn enough trees uh, in the timber and paper in Fulton County and Wayne County, Michigan to steal it from you. That, that, to me, that's the bottom line. Don't make that decision. Uh, but I'm going to go most overrated is, is all those hearings we had on big tech censorship. What, what did, those, did, did those do anything, man? Nothing. I mean, less than nothing. I mean, nothing was accomplished there whatsoever. Most underrated Todd. This goes back to something uh, Josh said earlier in a different category, but China as a villain on multiple levels. It's it's simply amazing. A and the answer of the Biden administration is, is, is going to try to heal that instead of uh, making sure that they are held accountable on multiple levels. It is preposterous what they're getting away with. Paul Alexander, most underrated. Kirsten Cinema. I have become a huge fan of hers. She was the only Democrat who had the courage and decency to stand and applaud for Tim Scott's Opportunity Zones program at the State of the Union address. She's publicly come out against packing the Supreme Court, and she was threatened with censure from the Arizona progressives for being too bipartisan. Well, she represents a purple state, and I think she does a very good job of remembering that and trying to accurately represent her constituents. I, I agree with you again. This is... I, I, that's not my answer, but I, I agree with that answer. Again, I'm, I need a vacation. Uh, Josh? <laughs> so somewhat of an obscure answer, but I would say Central and Eastern Europe. You know, we conservatives, we Americans, we love bashing Europe. And I would say 95% of the time, that's for a good reason. But we're mostly talking about Western Europe. We're talking about France, you know, Belgium, Netherlands, oftentimes England. I, I say that as an Anglophile. Uh, Germany under uh, Merkel, of course. But, you know, if you look carefully, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Poland, countries like that have quickly established themselves as deeply pro-American, pro-Israel, pro-Western, Western-aligned countries. That I look at Orban in Hungary. He has a, he has a incredible pro-family set of policies. He, he's a staunch defender of Christianity and faith in the public square. Those countries have actually emerged just over the past five years at the most as very, very closely allied with America and what we're trying to do on the global stage. And I think conservatives would be remiss for not kind of distinguishing between Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Aaron. Uh, most overrated for me was oppression. Underrated for me is freedom or just freedom. Yeah the, yeah, the absence of fear. Like uh, the, the, the two road trips that I just up and took in four days to the Grand Canyon and back. For most people this year, that would be that would be unthinkable. You're a COVID spreader. For, for, yeah. For yeah. me, those two times... They were just. This is what it. This is what it's like to be free. Yeah. Th th that's amazing. I, I don't have to fear anything. But for most people, it's it's uh, it, it, it's just beyond the pale. So I, I think the most underrated is freedom. Uh, to me, it's the and, and I think the full effect of it's going to be known until about this time next year. But it's the apparent decline of Fox News, 
uh, from a cachet standpoint uh, with conservatives, patriots, etc. I think it's got the potential to be a real paradigm changer. Uh, it's been the self-appointed Overton window on the right for decades. And then what happens if it turns out the emperor has no clothes? I think we're watching that happen right now. All right, your New Year's resolution. Let's get quicker with these. Aaron. Uh, to lose some weight a year ago tomorrow at this time, I could button this jacket. I cannot I, anymore. Welcome to married life. Todd. I'm stealing from the leftists. Resist. Because if you don't, they're going to steamroll you. Paul. To be more aware of my biases and to really commit to seeking out the truth rather than pushing whatever narrative I'm most comfortable with. You know, this is America, right? Anyway, Josh, go ahead. Uh, To read some more fiction and not just nonfiction, which is what I normally read. Mine is to ask as many snotty questions as I possibly can next year. The same as last year. (laughs) It's just it's an ongoing struggle. Uh, capitalist of the year. Good luck answering this question this year, Todd. Uh, those brutally annoying people from March, they set the tone for this. They were terrified to go outside. Everybody's going to die. How do you make it all better? Netflix and chill. Uh, th- that that lack of continuity between the fear and just kicking back and saying, hey, the sweet consolations of Tiger King are going to get us through this. You can all go to hell. All right. I think Todd didn't understand. This is the capitalist of the year, not the best job of destroying capitalism. But Josh, you give it a shot. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go with Orrin Cass, my friend who's the executive director of American Compass, a group that I'm a member of and I write their blog frequently that I really believe in. He, he has done more than anyone in a while to kind of recapture the traditional classical conservative notion that markets, capitalism, et cetera, are ultimately only good as instrumentalities insofar as they conduce to the actual ends of politics, justice, human flourishing, the common good, things like that. So he's he's done yeoman's work to make conservatives kind of rethink what capitalism is in the first place, I think. All right. All right. Paul. Josh is just so much smarter than me. It makes me feel very embarrassed. But uh I'll, I'll give a very technical answer. Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, earlier this year, they became the first U.S. company to reach a value of $2 trillion. Hmm. They had only hit $1 trillion in 2018. So that sort of explosive growth is just mind-blowing to me. Aaron? Uh, COVID-19 Essentials. That's a new chain store where you can buy simple masks from $20, ranging all the way up to bedazzled N95s with built-in battery-powered fans for $130. I'm not lying. That's a real place. And it's coming soon to a mall near you. That's a great answer. Now, I don't like I feel like Paul. I don't want to follow that. Uh, I got, I'm going to go with Built Bar, man. You give me a whole bunch of product for free. We already, and I'm still we already did it? that one, Steve. I'm, I know, but they gave, I, I, this has been such a terrible year for capitalism. I couldn't think of anything else. All right. Person of the year, Paul, I'll let you go first so you don't have to go after Josh this time. <laughs> uh, America's small business owners. Main Street has been put through hell and back this year. It's heartbreaking how many small businesses have had to close shop. But I, I do believe America's entrepreneurial spirit is still alive and well. And a lot of these brick and mortar mom and pop shops, you know, that give us a sense of community have somehow persevered and found ways to keep their doors open. So it angers me what they've been put through this year. But I am also very inspired by their resilience. Good answer. Todd. It's been mentioned on multiple fronts already, but it's Fauci and the mad scientists the stuff we believe these days in the name of science is appalling josh yeah not to have to too similar an answer from earlier but you know i interpret this question as not necessarily being for a good reason so i'm going to say xi jinping of the chinese communist party Mm. 
Aaron, uh, my answer is very much in line with Paul's. It's the a business owner who defied lockdowns and persevered. It's Lord Nefarious, guys. I mean, we started the year off with a fake impeachment. We still don't know who won the damn Iowa caucuses. Um, we necromanced Joe Biden's dead body on Super Tuesday. We shut the country down on some of the worst data models in all of human history. Uh, we then allowed the left's nocturnal emission of mail-in voting to become what we all know will be a permanent election year scheme now. Um, I mean, this was the year the spirit of the age reigned supreme. Give a tip of the cap to its godfather, Lord Nefarious. All right. Your big prediction for 2020, Aaron. I don't like this, but this is the state of the states right now. The new normal really is the new normal. Because for almost a year now, there have been some and there have been a lot, but I don't think it's enough of people who have truly rejected the new forms of tyranny and supremacy and statism so until that changes the new normal is the new normal the old normal was bad enough as todd likes to po point out going back to normal the old normal is terrible the new normal is worse but the new normal is the way it is it is the new normal until we say it's not hmm. paul alexander Building on what Steve said earlier, the big three cable news networks will become the big four with Newsmax continuing its ascent. And that is where Bill O'Reilly will make his return to cable news where he'll do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live, Steve. That and my amazing friend Bridget, who just started chemotherapy this week, will kick cancer's ass well we certainly hope the second prediction comes true but i think you might be right on the money about the first one all right todd your prediction for next year we all talked about martial law the need for it on some level to take care of our in or many of our cities american cities being burned down it never happened but it's going to happen not to take care of that but to take care of the likes of uh people in red states who just want their life back i i believe the military will be brought in uh in in the name of quashing legitimate american freedom josh wow well uh my prediction kind of pales in comparison frankly as far as magnitude as to what y'all just said but uh slightly lower stakes albeit still fairly high uh now i do predict that biden will re-enter an iran deal like accord with the iranian regime i do think that the middle east policy in general will kind of revert to the obama era status quo ante um and it's just not going to be good that is nothing but bad stuff that can happen from there I could see that happening as well. Uh, my big prediction for next year, a name that has been invoked several times on this panel already, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, I think, will launch a full frontal assault on COVID stand in 2021. I think you're still going to see Trump be the face and voice of the GOP next year, even if he's out of office from a, a narrative and messaging standpoint. Uh, but I think DeSantis in Florida will be the nerve center. I think that's where the substantive policy arguments are going to be uh, headquartered and taking place. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to tune into Fox Hub, your favorite uh, political porn channel. You're going to tune into Fox Hub and click on uh, the Team GOP tab, right? That's your favorite uh, brand of political porn. And they're going to be selling you Kevin McCarthy as if he's friggin' Joan of Arc or something, right? But in reality, I think it's going to be DeSantis uh, as the guy who is running. That, that's Yavin 4, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is what Florida is going to be. Uh, it's going to be the base, uh, and he'll be, from a, st 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 a policy standpoint, he's going to be the leader of the opposition 
against uh, whatever uh, a potential Biden presidency would entail. Gentlemen, this has been uh, an outstanding broadcast, if I do say so myself. We've had a ton of fun with it. We actually saved a few categories for the overtime. So if you are an overtime subscriber, we're going to tape that for you right after this. Some bonus Dace Group year in review coming your way at blazetv.com slash Dace. Later today, we'll record it right after this show. You can go there and uh, download it and watch it uh, on demand at uh, your convenience or... If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, that's also where you can go to become one for a discounted subscription. And what better day to finally, finally make that call than to get some bonus year in review Dace Group Roundtable coverage. So you guys did a great job. I mean, this was a this was a ton of fun. Now I think we have to close this out. The four of us, I think, now need to, while he is here, judge the first ever Democrat panelist on the year in review roundtable. I'm just kidding. We're not really going to do that. All right. I'm not kidding. We're not going to do that. We're going to do it behind his back instead. We won't, we won't do it to his face. I mean, we're, we have some standards around here for goodness sakes, man. All right. So more coming your way in the overtime for everybody else. Have a great weekend. Monday, our final show of the year until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.